the number one thing that we've been asking them for over a year now is give us an example of information necessary to diagnose and repair a car that is not currently being provided to independent local mechanics. And every single time they have dodged the question because they do not have examples. Um, the the examples that they, or when they when they testified at the state house, they said, well, right now we have everything we need, but in the future, we might not. And look, that's a fair point. So why did they, why did they put a 2022 model year timeline on this thing? Why is it so rushed? Why not say, in the next five years, this system needs to happen. Um, you know, they're essentially saying, this is not an issue right now, but by next year, we need to have this system uh, and, and have it in place across every making model. As society becomes more technology driven, the commodity that all businesses want is data. In the state of Massachusetts, there's a ballot initiative labeled as question one, the right to repair law Vehicle Data Access Requirement Initiative. This initiative builds upon the existing right-to-repair law in that state. According to Ballotpedia, the initiative would require manufacturers that sell motor vehicles equipped with telematic systems to install a standardized open data platform beginning with model year 2022. In order to understand this current initiative, it is necessary to go back to 2013. Connor Units, Senior VP at public affairs company Solomon McCown and Sense, and a spokesman for the Coalition for Safe and Secure Data, takes us back to 2013 and the initial right to repair law. Yeah, so the right to repair law um, ensures that every uh, that local mechanics have access, independent mechanics, I should say, have access to the same diagnosis and repair information as dealer repair shops. Uh, and so anything that, you know, an automaker um, gives their affiliated dealerships, they must also make that information available to independent mechanics. And the idea here obviously was to ensure a level playing field, ensure um, that uh, there was a, a level access of information that consumers could take their cars wherever they want. Now, that law is not going to change no matter what happens with question one. That law is on the books. They will still be on the books on November 4th. Um, and, and it's all about getting the information you need to repair a car. Um, from our perspective, question one is completely unnecessary because there is a paragraph in the existing law that says if any information necessary for diagnosis and repair is only, is only available via telematics and is provided to dealer repair shops, it must also be made available to independent mechanics. So from our point of view, this information, this telematics diagnosis and repair is covered by the existing law and there is no need for this ballot question. What question one would do is number one, change the definition of mechanical data, broaden it out significantly, uh, which is why I said I wanted to come back to this kind of this emergency information because by some respects it could be covered under this. Um, it creates an open access platform, data platform, that applies to every make and model of vehicles sold in Massachusetts beginning with model year 2022, which you know could, could be sold as early as January of next year, uh, the spring or, or fall more likely, um, and requires that everything work be compatible with a mobile application that doesn't define or say who's building or anything else. So it's, it's in, in our view, unnecessary, um, but by many accounts is incredibly vague and, and on a rushed timeline. 
right now, obviously in Massachusetts and around the country, you bring your car into the shop, they plug into the OBD2 port, they get all the information they need to diagnose and repair a car. Um, the majority of information that is transmitted via telematics is not necessary for diagnosis and repair. It's things like we talked about. It's you know crash notification, turn-by-turn -turn navigation. It's things that improve the consumer experience but have no relevance to repairing a car. For example, if I get in an accident and you know my, my car is all smashed up and I take it to the shop, the, the vehicle owner doesn't need to know the specifics of the accident, when it happened, where it happened, anything like that, the vehicle owner, excuse me, the, the, the vehicle technician to repair the car, right? They just need to know what's broken and they can see that and they can diagnose it through the OBD. Automakers um, would like that data because it helps them optimize the car better, essentially. How did the car break? How did it stop? Exactly. All that stuff. Okay. Exactly. Uh, and that's the, why the vast majority of this data exists. Now, obviously, as uh, you know, infotainment systems and everything else that consumers want have gotten more complex, there's other data that is being transmitted that is um, not necessary for safety. But again, it's also not necessary to repair the vehicle. Um, what question, the way the question one is worded in redefining the definition of mechanical data, it broadens it out to be anything quote unquote related to diagnosis and repair of a vehicle, which is an incredibly broad term that could essentially apply to anything. I mean, somebody could bring their car in and say, and, and a technician could say, I need to know exactly um, how fast you were driving because it will help me understand what level of brake pads you need on your car, right? It, it, these scenarios are not, you know, they're kind of hard to find and they're not most, um, not always the most clear things in the world, but they're, they do exist. And it's, it's very easy to extrapolate out how the expansion of that definition could apply to more data. Naturally, when it comes to a ballot initiative, you must follow the money. The supporters of question one comprise that of the auto parts stores, the O'Reilly's, the auto zones. Altogether, they have contributed $21.4 million in order to see question one pass. On the other side, the opposition is comprised of automakers, the Toyotas, the Fords, the Hondas. Together, they have amassed $25.8 million in order to fight Question one. So it's, it is absolutely a parts, it's a part suppliers versus automakers issue. It's just very clear because again, the local mechanics are already covered under the current law. And, and even beyond that, um, because of that law, the local mechanics in Massachusetts already performed 70% of after warranty work. Um, and yet, to, if you go like around the corner from me, there's, a, there's an O'Reilly and they've got these big signs in the window, save local mechanics, pass question one. And it's like, well, you know, by and large, the local mechanics in Massachusetts have the same number of jobs they did when this law passed. Anyone that's in trouble or at risk of going out of business is going to be in that same boat, whether, no matter what happens with question one. It's not, this will do virtually nothing for local mechanics. And let's face it too, uh, local mechanics, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, and I know this sounds awful, but local mechanics are a dying breed. As we get further into this, technological society, unfortunately, you're just not going to have so many of these local mechanics. You know, sorry, the, another thing actually that I was, that uh, that gentleman Scott Hadzik was telling me is that a lot of these mechanics too, 
the automakers have essentially just put together these instructional guides on how to fix cars now. And essentially the only way that they, that these automakers are instructing mechanics, even at the dealer level to fix these cars is to throw parts at the car. Mm-hmm. Obviously now we're talking, now we know why the, the auto stores have a big interest in this because that's that's all that's happening now with these cars. And that's why, again, mechanics are a dying breed. A, it's just hard to find a good one these days. B, you're just not going to see the level of competence anymore because you you have this push and pull with automakers and mechanics that mechanics can't turn a wrench anymore. Now they're just like, ah, step one, unscrew this bolt. Step two, put in the new part. Step three, turn on the car. You know, it's, it's like that easy. That's not even mechanic work anymore. And, and that's what, I mean, that... Uh, they are cars are becoming more sophisticated, more computerized, and that is what um, the whole 2012 law was designed to do: is ensure that that they get access to the same codes and the same uh, programs and everything else. It also did make an attempt to future-proof a lot. Not only did it talk about telematics, like I mentioned, but there were beyond the OBD port. It also, uh, you know, it gave other ways that could the computers could be plugged into the car to do the diagnosis beyond just an OBD port. So in the event, which is extremely unlikely that OBD ports go away, and I say extremely unlikely because they're required by the Clean Air Act, they're required by California emissions laws. Uh, and as, as being in California, I'm sure you know that California, because California is so huge, what California says on cars generally yep. um, helps define the market. And it should also be noted that this, uh, a similar proposal to this was already tried in California via legislation in 2014, and it never made it out of committee because it was so roundly opposed by domestic violence and sexual assault prevention groups, by the NAACP, by others who had concerns about the cybersecurity implications and the, and the privacy implications. So what is really at the heart of this proposed law? If the existing law already permits independent mechanics to access and obtain vehicle diagnostic information that is also concurrently available to dealerships, then what are auto parts stores really asking for? The existing law explicitly um, excludes navigation data from the telematics that can be shared wirelessly. Question one removes that exclusion and, and opens up the door to navigation data. And the Auto Care Association, which wrote question one, which has spent $7 million on question one, which is the national organization for these parts companies, were going around to trade shows pre-COVID uh, and showing what they want the app to look like if this passes. And their version of the app has location data, it has maps, it has behavioral data, it has well beyond what is needed to diagnose and repair a car. Listeners, I've been a frequent attendee and even a speaker at the Thought Leadership Summit. This conference focuses heavily on the customer experience. The main method to optimize the customer experience is using data. Usually, this data is in reference to website and digital marketing data, though the content is slowly shifting to incorporate more telematics data into optimizing the customer experience. And as a side note, View the episode page to hear past episodes regarding vehicle telematic systems and location data and how businesses use this information to generate revenue. I had some really insightful conversations with John Bucci, who was one of the initial executives that was part of Toyota's telematics team back in the early 2000s. Also, you can hear from Stephen Shu, who is a managing principal at Umlot, his company, tracks mobile app data 
And you can also hear from Warren Zena, who gets into some of the granular aspects of location data. I suggest these episodes because, as I mentioned to Connor, it seems that auto parts stores obtaining this navigation data or telematics data is truly for the purposes of digital marketing. I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, Hiawatha Bray, who's the, the Boston Globe's technology reporter, had a story yesterday um, that made that point. And, and you mentioned SVI earlier, and he kind of he used SVI to make that point, uh, giving an example. And this is this is really what those companies are after: the ability to market services and market market parts. But I think one thing that's critical to note there is it gets back to the entire misinformation campaign that is guiding this effort is SBI for it to work right um, for all these things to work right in terms of the, you know, promoting services and everything else fundamentally need to have access to the vehicle's location, right? Because so much of it is go to this parts store near you, go to this repair shop near you. The, uh, so the yes side has just repeatedly over and over again said, they, they don't want access to that information. They don't want GPS. They don't need real-time data. SVI stands for the Secured Vehicle Interface, which is a sandbox that remains agnostic on how data is shared between automakers, auto parts stores, independent mechanics, and customers. Its application even stretches beyond this ecosystem into the world of intelligent transportation systems, where vehicles can talk to one another, and vehicles can talk to the infrastructure, and vehicles can talk to other relevant systems. As per question one, a third-party entity would be needed in order to set up and deploy this secured vehicle interface sandbox. As more people dig into the concerns, as more people understand the, the point that we're trying to make, which is not that local mechanics provide, uh, present a security risk, it's that when you create this open access platform, when you open a gateway into vehicles, computers, that's where the risk comes in because it doesn't, um, you know, you can limit it all you want to, to mechanical data. But if somebody gets into the computer who has, you know, knowledge and skill and bad intentions, they're going to be able to get around whatever protections are in there that this independent entity might set up. Um, this is why automakers spend hundreds of millions of dollars every single year at securing their own systems and constantly keeping them updated and, and you know, responding like when there's a, you know, the hack of Jeep or the hack of Tesla. And then the automakers respond and try to make their systems more secure. Whereas question one, not only, um, you know, in, increases wireless access, but it specifically bars the manufacturers from being involved in, in, deciding who gets access. So they can't be involved in the security uh, features of this thing. And it, it just creates a strange scenario. Like, they, like people keep saying to me, well, uh, we use our ATMs. We trust that our ATMs are secure. Well, yeah, but your bank has a vested interest in ensuring that your ATM is not hacked. And you don't, we don't remove banks from that process. And that's what we're doing with automakers in question. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying now with regards to the security risk, risks here. Uh, I, it's like this right to repair law as it's currently pr proposed. It's a solution that's trying to fix a problem that actually may create an even bigger problem. Because I would, I agree, if, if all of a sudden now there's this new entity, this essentially third party that needs to be created to manage the flow of data. And, and again, well, it's in a lot of ways, you can say that this is kind of like government managing the streets, 
right? They try to do, they try to be agnostic. They try to make sure that, you know, people can equally play in the street and drive and whatnot. Well, as we all know, through history, as good actors get into roles of government and regulation, undubitably, it continues to grow and expand, and then eventually it does become a power game. And so certainly this new body can essentially just be going after, you know, they'll be in, in control of, of the way data flows between customers and automakers and auto parts, the, the entire ecosystem that you're going to have bad players. And that's going to mess it up for everyone now. And, and look, we, we believe that consumers should have access to their information as much as they want it. And that's why so many manufacturers, uh, like I gave the BMW example, like that's why they are developing their own secure systems that basically do what exactly what question one claims to want. Like for example, in BMW's case, their car data program that they're rolling out in the US right now, their information goes telematically from the vehicle to a secure server encrypted. It's encrypted again, sent down to an app that the consumer has. Um, and the consumer can decide right in that app, yes, I want to give access to my local mechanic. Yes, I want to give access to my insurance company. Yes, I want to give access to whoever. That then goes back to the secure server and then down to the local mechanic. And at no point does the mechanic or the insurance company or the third party or the app ever have direct connection to the vehicle. Always is encrypted and goes to that secure server. So there is a way to do this and provide all this information that they claim the consumers want and allow them to give the access but not uh, through an open access platform. And, and when I give that example and the like, yes side says, see, that's the problem. We need to be standardized so there's not 16 or 18 different ways to access. It's like, but that's the whole security point here. This makes it incredibly difficult for bad actors to hack multiple vehicles at once or even to hack any systems. Like there are gonna be security breaches, I'm sure. It's, it's, you know, it's just kind of inevitable. It happens all the time as we know, but you don't, counter that by making it easier to access large amounts of information at once. More from Connor after this. Listeners, thanks so much for tuning into the mini-series Upward Social Mobility. If you haven't heard this mini-series on navigating American life during COVID and a contentious political climate, you could find this series on any popular podcast app or visit wiscoweeklypod.com slash Upward Social Mobility. And if you are not subscribed to the show, you will definitely want to be subscribed why? Because coming up next is dun 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 the Auto Care Association, who are the supporters of Question One. So stay tuned and be subscribed, and that episode will be coming up next. Now, let's get back to Connor. Connor shares some insightful information on the national strategy for more states to adopt the right to repair law. And he also shares some information on what happens if question one does pass. There is a clear tactic to using Massachusetts, which is they tried to file legislation in California and Rhode Island before. It got knocked down by the legislature, but they knew that 
because they had gotten this ballot question through the Massachusetts voters before, and that led to a national MOU, that they would have an easier time trying to convince Massachusetts voters again that they're just fixing the law they already supported. And their hope, obviously, is that they can drive, you know, drive the standard to be adopted across the country. I think that the biggest difference is that when this passed last time, even before the ballot question, there had been a compromise. So automakers had agreed to the terms and eventually those were hammered out even after the ballot question. There is no compromise on this. There is no, there has been virtually no conversation. And so I don't see a path forward to an MOU. And obviously that's above my pay grade. I, I won't be involved in this post election day. And, and MOU stands for? Uh, Memorandum of Understanding. So right now, the Massachusetts law is generally applied to all the other states through the national MOU that the automakers signed with the right to repair folks uh, back in 2014. So if, you know, I, I don't see how they come to a national agreement on this. So the decision then, you know, automakers are going to have to face if this is passed is, do we, one, stop selling vehicles in Massachusetts, or two, you know, create a specific telematic system just for Massachusetts, or three, disable tele, uh, telematic systems whenever a car crosses into Massachusetts, or four, you know, create a, a, a whole new platform for all these cars based on this one little state. Massachusetts Question 1, the Right to Repair Law Vehicle Data Access Requirement Initiative, will be on the ballot on November 3rd. A yes vote supports requiring manufacturers that sell vehicles with telematic systems in Massachusetts to equip them with a standardized open data platform beginning with model year 2022 that vehicle owners and independent repair facilities may access to retrieve mechanical data and run diagnostics through a mobile-based application. A no vote opposes requiring vehicles to be equipped with this standardized open data platform. Should this initiative pass, a ripple effect would certainly be in order and therefore other states may be forced to adopt such measures. Much like Proposition 22 on the California ballot, I believe that the closer two parties are to the business relationship, the better each is suited. It won't always be a perfect union, but having two parties iron out the wrinkles is always better than having three. I'm Dennis Wisco. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Wisco Weekly. As some bonus content for you listeners, one of the things that I always like to ask my guests now, especially during COVID, is how are they taking care of themselves? How are they taking care of themselves professionally? How are they taking care of themselves personally? And just to learn what people are doing these days, and hopefully it may give you either that extra bit of motivation or it'll give you a new idea on what you can do to start taking care of yourself during COVID. Have a listen to what Connor's doing during COVID to take care of himself. What are some of the things that you're doing in your life that's helping you with your professional work? Yeah, I, um, I made a conscious effort when this all started because I normally commute uh, about 
you know, an hour and a half each way to Boston. And I'm obviously not doing that. So I made a conscious effort for the first time in my life since high school to use that time to get into shape. So I work out every day and I'm down 20 plus pounds and feeling good. And that's, uh, you know, that's keeping, it's critical for my mental health. Like I can tell you, I worked out actually just before this, this conversation yesterday, I just couldn't fit it in. I was just too slammed. I couldn't get my workout in and it. I, I felt awful all night just from a mental health perspective, like physically fine. If I got a day of rest, but my mental health was shocked. So I thought about all day was God, I feel terrible because I didn't work out today. So it's a, it's a new sensation for me as somebody who didn't work out for like 15 years before that, but you know, 